Psalm 19. This is an incredible text. We don't have time to do it justice, so I'm not gonna try to go through everything in detail that we could go through, but Psalm 19, open up your Bibles. Let's get to that. Open up your journals. Don't worry about your Instagram bingo card, but open up your journal. And we'll we'll take some notes. We'll walk through this. We're gonna read this entire passage before we walk through it. So we're gonna stand in honor of the reading of God's word. So would you do that now as we read Psalm chapter 19? There's a progression in the Psalm. I want you to see it as I read through it. We're gonna come back and hit it a couple of different times to drill it home. Creation, the world, general revelation, moving to special revelation, the word, scripture, the law, into the proper response of those who listen to God's revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day, it pours out speech. Night to night, reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man runs his course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens, it's circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. The words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Dear Lord, we know that the words of a human being fade quickly. Lord, we know our whole lives fade quickly. We are but a vapor. Lord, there's nothing important about us other than we're created in your image and we're your servants. And so Lord, today, would you allow your word to speak Would your spirit empower it to our hearts and to our minds and allow it to change our lives? Lord, would you be glorified? Lord, would we be able to see what you're communicating through your word so that we can be drawn closer to you and you can be lifted high? And Lord, today, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And you may be seated. All right, let's look at where we're headed. So our main idea out of this text today is that we should proclaim the glory of God. We should proclaim the glory of God. So how do we get this main idea of this text? First of all, we're gonna see that the world proclaims the glory of God, and then the word proclaims the glory of God, and then that worshiper 
who's responding to God revealing himself through the world and through the word knows that he's sinful. And he says, Lord, help me. And that humble response then allows our words and the meditations of our hearts to proclaim the glory of God. So if we have a proper response to the text this morning, the end result should be that we proclaim the glory of God. Here's our outline as we look at it. First in verses one through six, it's gonna be that God's world, the world that he created, proclaims his glory. Second, it's gonna be that God's word You heard the repetition there. We're gonna look at that repetition that God's word proclaims his glory in verses seven through 11. And then finally, that God's worshipers, those who accept that word, respond to that word rightly and worship the one true God, those worshipers proclaim his glory in 12 through 14. So we start off with point number one, verses one through six. God's world proclaims his glory. Now in this text, you can see here that creation has been personified. It declares, it proclaims, it does something. In that personification, we also see there's a nice little parallel structure. When you look at verses one and two, there's a parallel structure that says the heavens. Well, it's, it's the sky above also in the, in the ESV and the NIV, but if you're looking at this in the NASB or the New King James Version, it's the expanse or the firmament. Now, when you hear the word firmament, in your mind, you probably go back to Genesis 1. And that's what the writer of this psalm is doing is he's hearkening us back to Genesis 1. And he's saying the heavens that God created, that God spoke into his existence, those heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above, all that we see proclaims his handiwork, the expanse, the firmament, the stars, the sun, the seasons that we have. All of it is telling us and proclaiming to us that there is a creator the fact that there is a creation, the fact that it is so well done, the fact that it is consistent, the fact that it all exists in a, in a timeless manner and keeps existing indicates something to us about that creator. Day to day, it pours out speech, especially in the fall time in Cedarville, Ohio, when we see the sun really bright up in the sky, we all say amen, right? Because we know those gray days of winter. How many fans of winter do we have in here? I don't understand y'all at all, but whatever. Those days are coming. So when I see a day like today, I'm like, whew, wish somebody would cancel school so we could go out and play some golf or something, right? It's not happening. It's not happening. You can pray, it's not happening. But that sun pours out speech. It declares to us something. It gets up every morning. It sets every evening. And when it sets and we're out in the middle of the country, away from the campus, because we've got too many lights around here for safety, you move out into one of those cornfields or bean fields away from the campus and you look up at the stars in the sky and it screams to us that the universe is much more vast than we are and that we are infinitesimally small compared to what God has created and night to night it reveals knowledge about our creator. They even zoom in on the sun here when you look at this. Now, I don't know why it zooms in on the sun, but it zooms in on the sun and talks about the sun later in this text. Maybe it's because the sun was often used as as an idol. People would worship the sun and worship the creation and not the creator, but it zooms in on it. In verse three, it tells us there is no speech nor there are no words whose voice is not heard. Now, this is a little bit complicated. What is it talking about here? 
There is no speech, nor are there words. So as I looked at the commentaries, our very own Dr. Dan Estes had a nice quote on this that I wanna read to you. And so Dr. Estes says, when it comes to this particular verse of scripture, what verse three indicates is that the creation communicates the glory of God in pictures, but it provides no captions to explain the pictures. This revelation in nature is inherently limited. It is truth that must be supplemented and explained, and that is done by the Torah of Yahweh, 7 through 11, we're gonna get there, which interprets the pictorial language of creation. So to grasp the Lord's full message, humans need both his world and his word. So here's what we're seeing. If you look in verse one and it tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God, that's L, that's the, the, the basic name for God. There is a God. The creation is screaming that there is a creator. We understand that this thing is divinely inspired, that it has happened, and that there's some intelligent being that has made all that we see. But we don't know who he is. We don't know what his laws are. So we're gonna push forward into that. But what we do see from creation is in verse four, their voice goes out through all of the earth and their words go out to the end of the earth. This means that we are then left without excuse. And this is what Paul picks up on in Romans when he's telling us about creation. And in verses 119, when Romans quotes out, he says, what, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature had been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So everybody sees the creation. Everybody understands we didn't come from some primordial suit and we can add additional billions and billions of years, but this didn't evolve out of nothing. Something doesn't appear out of nothing. We know that's nonsense. We know that that has no logic to it whatsoever. When we see creation, when we understand the butterfly and the metamorphosis that it goes through, we know that there is a God, that there is a creator. When we understand how the giraffe works, the animals that defy evolution, and that giraffe with that big long neck leans down to take a drink of the water, that if that giraffe wasn't designed to be able to do that, that all of that blood would, have, would rush to that giraffe's head as that big long neck that that heart's pumping all the way up to all of a sudden works with gravity, not against gravity, and that giraffe would go down to drink that water, and when it goes down to drink that water, boom, its brains would be blown out all over the water spot. I mean, think about the logic there. But there are valves that shut off so that the blood doesn't go down with gravity to the brains of the giraffe to blow its brains out so that the lions then get a really easy meal. Perhaps that was too graphic for some of y'all. I see you looking at me. Yeah, okay, maybe it was too graphic. It's Evolution makes no sense. It's ludicrous. You, you think about the butterfly and the metamorphosis that happens. You can look at all sorts of animals. You can look around at creation. And friends, we understand and we know that there is a designer behind this. We understand and also know that we have a conscience within us. That's what Romans tells us. We deny that conscience we push it down, we suppress it, and then we elevate the creation so that we worship the things that were created rather than worshiping the creator. And that's what we do. Why? Because we have a sin nature. And that sin nature wants us to be in charge and not somebody else to be in charge. So we don't wanna humble ourselves. We wanna be the God of our own throne. We wanna do it our way. We wanna be the captain of our ship. We wanna control all of our destiny. And in order to do that, we've gotta push down the truth that we see in creation. It says in them he has set a tent for the sun 
It says it comes out, now listen, there's two analogies here. Think about these analogies. That sun comes out and it comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. The wedding day. If you're not excited to see your bride on the wedding day, we've got a problem. That wedding day that happens. And the way they did it in this point, that bridegroom is coming out of the tent. And how does that bridegroom come out of the tent? Oh, you know not. How does that bridegroom come out of the tent? Yeah. You ever been to a wedding? Okay, so some of them are a little nervous and they're shaking and sweating, but they're just excited. If you're not excited, we've got, we've got a program for that. It's called Fit to be Tied. You can get involved in that. And just, I'm kidding, but not really. And then it says it's like the strong man that runs his course with joy. Okay, so back to Instagram bingo. I run so I can have Chick-fil-A milkshakes, right? So you want the bar. There you go. Yeah. And I run really slow. And when I run, it's not with joy. <laughs> the milkshakes are with joy. <laughs> the running, not so much. But some of you, I've seen you, like our, oh, what do they rank now? Are they number six? Is that right? I see Chris Cross over there. Our number six women's cross country team, number six in the nation. Yeah. <laughs> hey, have you seen them running? I see them running. I see some of you run on Bridge Street too, by the way. That's dangerous. There's no sidewalks over there. We've got other places for you to run. But when I see that cross-country team running, they're actually smiling. It's like they enjoy it. And then they run like forever and they run really fast. Men's cross-country does the same thing. These runners actually run and they enjoy it. It's like that person who enjoys the running. This is how the sun comes out every morning and it peeks over the top and it's like, I'm here. It's like, I've had my coffee already and I'm sitting there like, I haven't had mine. Slow down a little bit. But it's excited. It's coming out. And so this is the analogy that's being described about creation here. It's the sun that bursts forth like the bridegroom. It comes out like the strong man. It's rising is from the end of the heavens. Notice the repetition of the end here. It's circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. General revelation, creation goes out to everybody. You see it, you know it. And if you don't know the truth of the gospel, then you suppress it. That's what happens. And let's be honest, that's what happens in higher education all across the country. So this place is different. This is a CU Friday, and we've got several CU Friday guests here. So if you're here for CU Friday and you're a guest, would you stand and let us welcome you to chapel at Cedarville? Come on, stand up. Here we go. All right, so, so here's the deal on our campus. General revelation, science, whatever you wanna call it, the world, the creation does not trump scripture. Special revelation trumps general revelation. Scripture trumps creation. Scripture trumps what we may think we know because we're smart enough to have looked over the history and understand that all of the scientific facts change. Our opinions, our hypothesis, our theories change over time. God's word remains forever. 
God's word does not fade like, like the flowers and the grass. It's gonna stay true forever. So God's word trumps that. That's what we use to interpret what we see in creation. So on this campus, it's very different. We believe in a six-day literal creation, God resting on the seventh, and that's how we push forward in our science programs, in our theology programs, all across campus. But even broader than that, special revelation, the scripture, the word of God is what trumps everything. So that's what we see here. We move from the world, I haven't even looked at my notes. We move from the world to the word. There's a progression. Look at this progression. Creation, the book without words, leads us to a knowledge of God. It's the basic name for God. Paul even quotes um, Psalm 19.4 in Romans 10.18, discussing the necessity of a preacher. All it does is place you without excuse. It doesn't save you. And so there has to be a preacher to come along with the word and to interpret that. And so then the book with words teaches us what this God's name is. We'll see that in the next section where it tells us he is the Lord, Yahweh. It tells us his laws. It tells us about the proper response. And then that's gonna lead to the end of our chapter in 12 through 14 where we understand that the proper response is humility before God. So we move to point number two. God's word proclaims his glory. Look at verses seven. Now, I've got a chart. I'm gonna lay this out for you here because the repetition here is something that we need to note and we need to pay attention to and we need to look at what it's saying to us. It's repeating over and over and over again the word of the Lord, the laws of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the rules of the Lord, God's word that has been given to us and revealed to us. This is what we're talking about. So what does this word do? This word, what it does is in that far right-hand column and then the verbs is in the center section. And so the law of the Lord, it's perfect. It is without error. It is inerrant because we have a God that cannot lie. This God that cannot lie is not gonna lie to us in his word. So the word of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord, it is sure. It is something that you can build your life on. It is something that you can rely on. And this is why we push for no breakfast no, no Bible, no breakfast. I got it backwards. I messed up your bingo card. Who had bingo? Who had it? Raise your hand. Oh, I don't see. Somebody said we had it in the intro. So yeah, back there. I got you. All right. I'll give you a t-shirt later. Come see me. Hey, at least y'all listen enough to know what I say all the time. So no Bible, no breakfast. Look at what this word's gonna do for your life. It's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, it's true and righteous, and it's gonna transform your life. It's gonna revive your soul. So are you here today, and because it's November and it's after fall break and you've got exams and you've got papers and you've got all this stuff weighing down on life and you're sitting here going, oh, what's gonna revive the soul? It's the word. Are you in it or have you got too busy? If you've gotten too busy, I don't have time to get up in the morning and read my Bible. Yes, you do. No Bible, no breakfast. You wake up hungry, you get in the Word. It's gonna make wise the simple. Anybody in the room simple? Here you go. It's gonna make wise the simple. It's gonna let you know how you're supposed to live your life. Anybody in here need a little rejoicing in the heart? Anybody need to have their spirits lifted? You need to... Remember the joy of the Lord and take joy in the salvation that he has provided for you. Right here it is, it's the precepts of the Lord. 
enlightening the eyes. How do I live in this life? What am I supposed to do with my life, Lord? What do you want me to do? How am I gonna follow you? How am I gonna follow your will? How am I gonna know your will? Right here it is, friends. It's not the words that somebody on the stage, it's not the words of a faculty member, even though we love you and we do the best we possibly can for you, the words that are gonna transform your life and change your life are the words of God. If you wanna hear God speak, read the Bible. If you wanna hear God speak out loud, read the Bible out loud. That's it. Get in the word. And then it says the fear of the Lord. And I thought, ah, can I I underline this one? Because the fear of the Lord is really more of a response that we have to the word than it is another way of stating what the scripture is. So we get this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We see that in Proverbs all throughout. So our response to the law of the Lord, the precepts, the testimonies, is for us to say we respond in a reverent awe to this word. And that response is the way that we should respond to receiving God's word, God's special revelation. The fear of the Lord is clean. It's not messed up. It's not polluted. It doesn't have the sinful things in it that we have in our own lives that pollute our lives. It's not the dirty vessel. His word is clean. His word is to be pursued. His word will endure forever. And then as you look at these parallel statements here, it says the rules of the Lord are true and righteous. Now I keep waiting on, okay, what's gonna happen next? Because you've got all these parallel statements going through here. You've got the law of the Lord is gonna revive the soul. The testimony of the Lord is make wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is enduring forever. The, the rules of the Lord, they're righteous and true. Okay, they're righteous and true. What's it gonna do for me? But it's almost like the poet was saying here through using poetic language to draw our attention to something to say, I'm not gonna give it to you. You're expecting it. You're expecting that word to rhyme again. You're expecting that cadence to continue. But instead of giving you what you expect, I'm not going to. So it causes you to be jolted for a moment and say, wait a second, what is going on here? What's happening? So then he says, oh, but more to be desired are they than gold, riches, possessions, or wealth. Not just gold, even much fine gold. So look at what the writer is saying to you today. The word of God is to be desired more than the possessions of this life, the money of this life, the things that you can buy in this life, all of those things. This is better. This will do more for your life than those possessions. Oh, but you don't understand. I need that car. I need that house. I need that job. I need that stuff. It won't make you happy. This is what's gonna make you happy and satisfied. This is what's gonna fulfill the longing of your soul, the word of God and pursuing what he wants for your life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All the rest will be added to it. He doesn't stop there. He also drills into us now that he's got our attention and says, sweeter also than honey. Okay, how many of you like honey? All right, how many of you dislike honey? Yeah, there's some of you. It's sticky, it gets on your fingers. It's just, man, what, I don't, yeah. Back in that day, listen, y'all, they didn't have Smarties, Sweet Tarts, M&Ms, cookies and cream milkshakes. They didn't have any of all that stuff, right? So honey, ho, ho, it's the good stuff. The pleasures of life. So you don't like honey, substitute in there the pleasure that you desire from life. Sweeter than that pleasure, even the very best part of that pleasure, the drippings of the honeycomb, the sweetest aspect of it. Okay, so what is this for me? Um, 
Even the very bottom of the barbecue Lay's potato chips bag where they get smaller and they have more stuff on them and you just wanna scrape your finger down in the bag and lick the seasoning off of it and go, oh, little, some of you think I'm disgusting right now. That's okay. Somebody said preach. Look, I've grossed some people out in here. It's okay. You put in whatever it is for you in there, right? Like I, I like that stuff. That's, it's your favorite sauce at Chick-fil-A with the last nugget. And you get to wrap it up in it. Are you with me now? No, okay, I give up, whatever. Y'all figure it out. It's, it's that pleasure in life that you desire that's hard to grasp because there's not much of it, it's limited. And you know what the writer is saying? This is better. So what is that sinful pleasure that you desire? It's not time for it. It's not something that you should be doing. Oh, I just, God's just keeping me from the thing that's gonna make me happiest. No, he's not. He's giving you his word so that you can understand how to pursue true happiness in this world and to do it in the right way so that you will be fulfilled. He is the creator. He understands what's supposed to happen. He has given us the manual. We respond by reading the manual and doing what the manufacturer has said we're supposed to do because he created us and because he created us, he knows more about us than we know about ourselves. All right, verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. So if I'm about to do something that really messes stuff up, time out, don't do that. But also by them and keeping them, there is great reward. So it keeps us from the bad stuff, it helps us achieve the good stuff. So we see God being revealed and God's glory being proclaimed in the world. We see God's glory being proclaimed through his word. And then we also see the proper response from the worshiper. Look at what it says in verse 12. This should be convicting to all of us. Who can discern his errors? Or perhaps stated a different way, who can discern error? You know, without God's standard to say this is right and this is wrong, can I even know what all of my faults are? Why is it that I act a certain way? Can I even discern my motives behind why I do something? When I do something that's good, do I do it so that somebody else will see me doing it and think better of me? Do I do it so that that person will take notice of me? Am I doing something that's even good with a flawed bad motive because I wanna elevate myself rather than serve my savior? I can't even discern my own errors. That's how wicked and fallen my heart is. That even when I'm doing something that I would take and say, this is awesome, look at me, and brag on myself, the word will come along and say, you're not doing it for the right reasons. So Lord, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Lord, the things that I'm doing that I don't even know why I'm doing them, Lord, would you declare me innocent from those? Now, here's the deal. If there are things that I'm doing that I don't even know I'm doing, how am I gonna figure out I'm doing them? I've got to be in the word and in relationship with the Lord and in the church so that other people can come alongside me and walk with me in that authentic Christian community to point these things out to me. So I've got to recognize with a humility that I am not the king of my own castle, the master of my own domain. I do not do things my way. I submit myself to the word and I say, here's what I have to live in every single day because yes, I'm that sinful and I need good brothers and sisters around me that can look at me and say, hey, you've got a blind spot right here. 
You may have a good motive, but it's bad. Or you may have a bad motive to do a good action. You've got a blind spot here. You need to recognize this blind spot in your life. And that's why I'm thankful I've got good brothers and sisters around that will point that out and say, no, 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 don't do that. This is bad. Here's why. Oh, I didn't see that. The Spirit convicts us and we say, okay, yeah. Let's do this the right way. Keep your servant back also from presumptuous sins. Oh, we're there. God, I really want that honey. Except it's not honey. It's whatever it is in your life. But your words told me I don't get it right now. But I'm gonna do it anyway. Because you're gracious, right? So if God's so gracious, what do we do? Do we sin all the more so that grace can abound? May it never be. But we do it. And so here the person responding to the greatness of creation and to the greatness of the word says to the Lord, Lord, would you keep your servant, your servant, the humility there, serving the true king, would you keep your servant back from presumptuous sins? Lord, and this is where some of you need to cry out right now. This is where some of us need to cry out, Lord, keep us back. Do not let these presumptuous sins have dominion over us. Lord, don't let me get so trapped up into something that this world offers, some pleasure that this world has, something that's not good for me, that I take that and I put it as an idol in my life and that I then become enslaved to it and it has dominion over me. Lord, don't let me take something and put it in your place so that I'm worshiping this thing rather than worshiping the one true God. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. And then he ends here with a prayer that's good for all of us. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So creation, the world, tells us there's a God. We don't know who he is. That's why Paul says we need a preacher. We need the preacher to go and say to them, this is the gospel. That's why we wanna do missions. That's why we want everybody on a missions trip before you graduate because that moves us to the word. And the word, when we proclaim the word, tells us that his name is Yahweh. It tells us that he is the Lord. It tells us all of the things. It tells us you can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not of your works. It's by grace you have been saved, not of works, lest we should boast and turn it into something about ourselves. It's all about what he has done on the cross, penal substitutionary atonement, so that we then repent of our sins, put our faith and trust in Christ, believe in him. And when we do that, we go from a knowledge of what the scriptures may say about somebody else to understanding that this is the one that I'm to be a servant of. This is my rock and my redeemer. And that is the right response. And I pray every one of you has that response to the glory that is revealed through the world and the glory of God that is revealed through the word so that then as a worshiper, you will also proclaim God's glory. Here's your application points. Scripture transforms our lives. That's why we practice no Bible, no breakfast. If you don't get anything else, guest who's with us today and maybe you've let your quiet time slide, whatever, wherever you are, every day in the word. First thing you do, you open up the word, you read it, you pray to the God who wrote it, 
You say, God, shake my heart. Let me live this day in a way that pleases you. God, I know me. I know how easily I mess up. I know how easily I'm swayed. I know the tendencies of my heart. I know it's deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? I cannot live for you unless your word speaks to my heart, shapes me, and tells me what I'm supposed to do. And friend, if you think you can live the Christian life without being in the word of God on a regular, consistent basis and having a relationship with God, then then you are sorely mistaken. This is where you must live your life in the word. If you do that, the spirit will change you through the word. You saw all of that list. It will transform your life through the word and it will make you a better Christian and a better person over time. A long walk in the same direction. When we stumble, we stumble forward. We keep getting up and we keep going in that same direction. So you're at Cedarville. So because you're at Cedarville, study creation through the lens of scripture. God tells us how he did it. He tells us what happened. And we've got people around here that can help you study all of these things. Like, for example, John Whitmore. If you haven't taken a geology class, you should all go take his geology class. I would love to see him try to take 3,000 people over to one of the state parks to talk to you about rocks and, and how all that, that works. Sorry, Dr. Whitmore, you can, I'll, I'll apologize later. I went on the Grand Canyon trip with him and he started talking about the folds that were in the rocks and he started showing me with a glass the Coconino sandstone, which is what he studied. And he starts showing me the great unconformity that exists on all of these continents. And all of these things scream out that there was a global flood. Friends, take advantage of the faculty members that we have here, like Dr. Burns as well, where you're learning about the body and you're learning about it being intricately woven in the womb. And it's something that allows you to give praise to God because you understand how he created the body. It's not some evolutionary process that just happened. It's actually been designed this way and it causes us to look at our creator in a new light. Take advantage of all these faculty members that can help you make sure that you understand what God has done in creation. And then, dear friends, may all of us respond every day in humility. We learn all these things, we shouldn't get prideful. We learn all these things, we should say, oh, woe is me. Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips. We should say with Peter, as the fish came up in the, in the greatest catch ever, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. I'm in the presence of somebody that I don't deserve to be in the presence in. And so we respond with that humility. And when we respond with that humility, We say, oh God, reveal to me the sins I don't even know. Keep me back from the presumptuous sins. Lord, help me to live a life that's pleasing to you so that the words that come out of my mouth, the meditations that are in my heart, the deepest longings of my heart will be pleasing to you. That's our prayer and that's our prayer to him each and every day because we need it, friends. If you have good theology, it's gonna lead to neither pride nor arrogance. It's gonna lead to humility, and sincere worship and admiration for God. So if what you're learning in your theology classes or your science classes or any other class leads you to a prideful arrogance of what I know over what other people know, you're not getting it right. When you learn these things, it leads you to say, oh God, I am not worthy. Woe is me. So that's our response. Keep us from hidden faults, presumptuous sins, so that we may glorify him with our lives. What's your main idea? We should proclaim the glory of God. And friends, it's my prayer for you that you will do this and that you will always know that you are loved. 
Dear Lord, help us today and help us every day to wake up with the realization of who you are and who we are. Help us to serve you and to do it well for your glory and not our own. Help us to remain humble before you, quick to confess our sins. Lord, help us to develop good spiritual disciplines where we're in your word regularly, where we're praying to you regularly, where we're involved in a local church regularly with authentic Christian community. Good brothers and sisters around us, Lord, so that we may live lives so that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in your sight and proclaim your glory everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. And you are dismissed.